welcome to CPAC's Today in Politics podcast. It's Monday, May 15th. I'm Michael Serapio. Here are the big political stories we are talking about today. We take a closer look at the by-elections called for June 19th, including the chances that Maxime Bernier will win a seat in Manitoba. I know that the People's Party already has a lot of support in this riding. In the last election, we had our best result across the country here in Portage Lisgard. A new poll suggests the NDP has pulled out far ahead of the incumbent UCP in Alberta. For the NDP, they've been harping on these things. They've been running a, sort of a, a an attack ad campaign against um, Danielle Smith. So these things are, are hurting Smith, undermining her credibility. And what effect might the Alberta election have on the country as a whole? With more on these stories, we're now joined by Robert Russo, former Ottawa Bureau Chief with the Canadian Press, former Parliamentary Bureau Chief with the CBC. Rob, good morning. Hello, Michael. How are you? I'm good, you know, for Monday morning. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's start out uh, with these by-elections. Again, just announced for June 19th in Notre Dame de Grasse, West Mountain, Quebec, the Ontario riding of Oxford, and two ridings in Manitoba, Winnipeg South, and Portage Lisgar. Let's start out with why there are vacancies in the first place. Uh, a, a bunch of retirements uh, in some cases and and uh, the, the death of uh, former cabinet minister Jim Kerr and the others uh, since in, in Winnipeg South Centre. Um, uh, so they've been vacant for, uh, in, in many cases, for months. Uh, I think I think by-elections are fascinating, Mike. I, if we could just spend a second talking about by-elections in general. A lot of people in Ottawa will dismiss their importance. They They say that their protest votes, but they they are are closely watched, uh, and a lot of resources go in. They're a test of message and muscle, and they're watched very very closely by parties in this town that are on a permanent election footing in a minority government. We have a new leader, Pierre Poilievre, for the Conservatives. He's going to he's going to be testing whether or not he has the organization, the the message, the ground game uh, to defeat Justin Trudeau and Justin Trudeau long in the tooth as, uh, as prime minister, is going to be testing whether or not his party still has the ground game, the organizational muscle and sinew to do things, uh, uh, like, like win elections uh, in, in contested areas. And now, and, and people, people forget, they forget that, that by-elections have tossed up some stunners in the past. Um, 1989, a reliable conservative seat in Alberta elects a woman named Deb Gray, first reform MP ever. That, that, that movement grows. And the next thing you know, it's crushing the, the progressive conservatives from, from the right. A, a year later, in, in the reliable Mont- uh, Montreal riding of uh, Laurier Saint-Marie, a young Maoist named Gilles Duceppe is elected uh, there. And all of a sudden, the Bloc Québécois is becoming a force and crushing the progressive conservatives from, from the left in Quebec. And Mulroney's time as uh, a guy who has a stranglehold in Quebec is coming to, to an end. Not that long ago, in, in, in 2007, Tom Mulcair in the reliable riding of uh, Outremont, safe uh, liberal seat, Montreal seat. Uh, Tom Mulcair is elected, and he goes on to become NDP leader. So big, important things can happen in by-elections, and they're closely watched. 
Yeah, big important things, as you say, and interesting that you use the word movement, because uh, all these writings are, are all considered safe for their respective incumbent parties. But a lot of attention right now focused on Portage Lisger, because while considered a safe seat for conservatives, there are actually two candidates representing the ideological right in the riding. Talk to us about that. Yeah, look, this is uh, perhaps Maxime Bernier's best chance to actually win a riding in, in Canada. Um, he he's going to run. The leader is going to run in, in a, a, a riding that's overwhelmingly Anglophone. There are still some Francophones there. Uh, uh, there's a popular MP who's leaving in Candace Bergen. She's she's stepping stepping down after about 15 years there. Um, but uh, Candace Bergen that that's a Mennonite name, and Mennonites are very important voting block uh, uh, in that riding. Maxime Bernier is not a Mennonite name, uh, and it's, it's it's a very important test for him. He needs to show that he can repeat at least the level of support that the People's Party of Canada got in that riding in 2021, which was 22 percent. If that goes down, that's a good uh, sign for Pierre Poilier, who has been uh, um, relentless in trying to appeal to uh, PPC voters. His lament for freedom, his complaints about gatekeepers, that's a not so subtle appeal to, to PPC supporters. Um, and and uh, you know, a drop from, from 22% for, for Bernier suggests his libertarian messages has in effect been co-opted by Poilier. Um, if Bernier does as well as 22%, that suggests that the PPC is still going to eat away important uh, support uh, for for the Conservative Party, even under somebody like Poilievre, who has moved the party to the right in some ways. Um, and so a, a very, very important test for, for both uh, Maxime Bernier and for uh, Poilievre. And I don't think it's, it's an exaggeration to say that this is going to give us a portrait of Canadian conservatism as it evolves at, in the first quarter of the 21st century. Well, you know, without a doubt, Bernier brings in this really interesting dynamic because he, I, I, he definitely brings in a far more social conservative bent uh, than uh, Pierre Poliev has. Uh, for example, uh, Bernier attacking drag queens and trans kids uh, early on as he speaks with the media. Uh, do you think the People's Party of Canada, especially if it does gain at least that twenty-two percent that you're referring from the last election, uh, do you think? its continued existences will in any way force Poliev to veer more right than he has? We won't, we won't know until we see the results. Um, I, I would be surprised if Poliev took up those kinds of, of, uh, of social policies. Um, but look, we, we have no clues except for things like money. Money is oxygen in Canadian politics. And in the last or in the first quarter of 2023, the uh, uh, People's Party of Canada had a huge drop in the amount of money that they raised. They only raised about three hundred thousand uh, dollars. Poilievre's Conservatives had a record quarter. They they raised about eight million dollars. So if we're looking for signs of of how each party is doing, money is often a good sign. It's it's a sign of what kind of response your policies are getting with people. Um, but as I've said, by-elections are very, very unpredictable, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm not sure that we can read anything into it. And those kinds of policies that Bernier is espousing are going to be popular with, uh, uh, with the Christian right, 
with, with, with people like Mennonites who represent over 10% of the voters in, in Portage. Okay, so watching that closely about a month away from the actual by-election date itself. Uh, but, you know, as we talk about voting, let's turn to Alberta right now. Uh, the election there, a very short campaign. We're now halfway through, and there's a new poll out. This is from Abacus Data, and it says the NDP has pulled out far ahead of the incumbent UCP. Uh, what do you make of that analysis? I I like polls. I, I'm a big fan of polls, but I'm I'm not as big a fan of individual polls and trying to divine results from them. There was a poll a couple of weeks ago also um, by, by um, I, I, I cannot remember, it's Keto Maggi's group, mm-hmm. um, uh, which showed that the UCP was, was ahead by, by about a similar score. And um, <clears throat> I think polls are best taken in the aggregate there have been very few polls so far in the Alberta election. I expect we're going to see more polls. And only when we see those polls in the in the um, aggregate can we try to really discern whether or not there's a trend. Abacus is generally very good. This is a fair-sized provincial poll for them, about, about eight or 900. It's the Main Street poll that I was referring to earlier. That's mm-hmm. about 1,300 people. Um but I'm I'm looking to see um, locally l- local pollsters get involved. Somebody like Janet Brown before I'm I'm prepared to make any kind of prediction. What is evident from both polls is the obvious notion that it's wave conservatives really in um, in in and around the northern suburbs of Calgary who are going to determine whether or not Danielle Smith is re- reelected as Premier of Alberta. Those wavering conservatives voted for Rachel Notley in 2015, uh, and and they felt a great deal of remorse about that. Um, But they also feel unease about the judgment of Daniel Smith. Um, And I think that those are the people, these wavering conservatives, who are going to determine the outcome of the election. Well, without a doubt, we're seeing a lot of uh, focus on the uh, greater Calgary area from, from both major parties there. Uh, now, of course, we're, we're following this closely, and, and I think it's worthwhile to address because there are people out there who might be wondering why we are, as you know, uh, federal political journalists are, are covering Alberta so closely. Uh, and it's because, you know, this election does have consequence beyond the, the fact that Alberta is important to the Canadian economy. It will also have an effect on Ottawa. Talk to us about that. Sure. Um, if if Rachel Notley goes down to defeat, um, I, I think I think one of the primary reasons for that will be her support of uh, the carbon tax, and it so that that will tell you that the carbon tax is a is a bit of a political liability in large swaths of the country for Justin Trudeau. I, I think that it will also be one of one of the uh, cudgels that Daniel Smith has been using to, to hammer Miss Notley has been the relationship between uh, Justin Trudeau and, and uh, Jagmeet Singh uh, as well. So uh, this, this arrangement, this parliamentary coalition between those two parties has, 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 uh, has been seen as a liability in many quarters of Alberta. And so you can bet that Pierre Poilievre is watching that and, and trying to decide whether or not uh, now that that's been road tested, if it's road tested successfully, he should take it across the country as well. Um, and, and for historical buffs like me, I mean, it's very rare, very rare to see a sitting premier or sitting leader defeated 
and then brought back after spending time in opposition. Although only happened uh, very, very rarely at the provincial level. I think Alan Blakeney was the last one in, in Saskatchewan in 1986. Federally, uh, Pierre Trudeau was the last guy who resigned briefly, was opposition leader briefly, and came back and uh, and then brought back uh, the Constitution from from Great Britain. So these are historic possibilities uh, and and do have political implications for federal parties across the country as well. Rob, great way to start a week with you, a uh, Monday morning with you. Thank you for that. You have a great day. You too. And I hope you get the intravenous caffeine hookup soon. <laughs> I know I need to get that uh, worked into my rider. Uh, Rob <laughs> Russo, thank you. See you later. Now let's take a look at what political columnists, commentators, and editorialists are saying today. In the Toronto Star, Althea Raj argues that if Justin Trudeau had kept his promises, perhaps a Liberal MP would not be leaving Ottawa. She writes, the Prime Minister lost one of his best assets last week, though he probably doesn't realize it. Despite embodying the youthful energy, generational change, and strengthened role of an MP that Justin Trudeau once championed, Nathaniel Erskine-Smith is now leaving the party in Ottawa for the party in Toronto. His departure raises the question of whether there is space for more than the leader's voice in Trudeau's party. Were Trudeau's promises of free votes and more independence for MPs a political ploy by a third-party leader who never expected to keep them? Or was it a genuine willingness to change the culture of Ottawa that, once in power, was never actively encouraged? At the conversation, Tom Mallison argues taxing the wealthy to the hilt would make us all much better off. He writes, though most people naturally dislike inequality, it is often argued that raising taxes on the rich will do more harm than good by damaging incentives and investment, thereby slowing economic growth and ultimately hurting us all. But is it really true that high taxes, even very high ones, are detrimental to societal well-being? The last few years have witnessed an explosion of new evidence from economists, sociologists, political scientists, and ecologists that suggests they're not. Critical research shows that all things considered, high inequality actually tends to reduce an economy's overall growth rate. All in all, the costs of high taxes and low inequality are likely to be only moderate, but the benefits are truly enormous, a different order of magnitude entirely. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. This morning, the NDP critic for Democratic Reform, Daniel Blakey, will discuss his private member's motion that aims to give the House of Commons more say in decisions of confidence and prorogation. The Deputy Prime Minister, Christopher Freeland, will attend question period, and Environment Minister Stephen Gilbeau will make an announcement about protecting nature and biodiversity at the biosphere in Montreal. That is CPAC Today in Politics for this Monday, May the 15th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight. You can join me on CPAC for full coverage of all the day's events. And Julie Van Dusen, well, she is hosting Les Sale this week. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day. <music>